Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Good morning, church. Thank you for watching me struggle with that table. Pastor Adrian makes it look so easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to bring that up here. But if I haven't gotten the privilege to meet you yet, my name is Olivia. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I get the privilege of bringing you um, the word this morning. And it's especially exciting because we're starting a new series that we're calling Building Blocks. Um, So over the next five weeks, starting today, we're gonna be going back to the basics. We're gonna be talking about those faithful practices that make up the Christian life. And before you ask, I would say yes, this series is for you. If you are brand new to the faith, then These next few weeks will help you as you are forming your new walk with the Lord. Um, If you're not a person of faith, but maybe you're curious, then this series will give you an in-depth look of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And finally, if you're here and you've been part of um, the Christian faith, if you've been walking with the Lord for years this series will be an important reminder of how how important those basics of our faith are. So like I've said, um, this new series is called Building Blocks, and so an easy illustration for that are actual building blocks. I think it's safe to say that everyone in the room knows how these work, and if you don't, um, it's in the name. You use the blocks to build the things. So we know that one block doesn't do a whole lot on its own, We know that two blocks might be something, but it's not a lot. But as you get more blocks, you get a more solid structure. And so our faith-building blocks that we're going to be talking about are prayer, Sabbath, worship, community, and giving. All of these things on their own are good, just like one wooden block is good. But when we use them together, we really get something. We get a structure that is solid. So when I was growing up, I hope you guys don't get tired of these childhood stories because I just have so many of them. Um, When I was growing up, I was constantly around things that were being built. My dad was really talented at building and fixing, so there was always some sort of project going on um, in our home. And so naturally, I thought this was just a skill that everyone had, maybe even including myself, Um, So we lived in the woods, and I had this dream of having a treehouse, but I really wanted to build it by myself. Um, I don't know that my family knows that this happened, but um, it didn't feel ambitious to me then. It really just felt normal. 
Um, and for some context, I was probably like seven or eight years old when this happened. Um, so like any seven or eight year old, I took matters into my own hands. Um, I walked out to my dad's shop when he wasn't home and I found something that resembled a tool belt. I dumped all the nails in the pockets that I could. I grabbed a hammer and I kid you not, like three pieces of scrap lumber that I found. And I was like, this is it. I'm gonna go find the perfect tree. I'm going to go build a tree house. So I had no plan, just a couple of two by fours and a very big dream. And I find the perfect tree. It was perfect because it was small enough that I could climb up on a limb and reach the top. Um, not great for a tree house, but I just start like nailing these pieces of wood into the tree where I thought they should go. Um, no plan, just big expectations. And after I was done, I stepped back and all I had were three pieces of wood nailed to a tree. This isn't surprising, I didn't have a tree house. Um, and there were a lot of flaws in my plan that I don't need to get into, I think they're pretty obvious. Um, but if I had to pick the biggest flaw besides not knowing anything about building a tree house, it would be that I didn't start with a solid foundation. I had nothing to build off of except for this really scrawny tree. And so as I've grown up, I've learned that just because you're around builders, it doesn't make you a builder. So I know I don't know that much about building a house, but I do know, I think I know, that the foundation is the most important part. And for the builders in the room, if that's not true, do not tell me, because I feel really confident that the foundation is the most important part. So when I think about the building blocks of our faith, I think we have to start with the foundation. Prayer is foundational. Prayer is how we communicate with God. And it can take a lot of different forms and look a lot of different ways, but it's ultimately what anchors us to God. It's what defines and strengthens our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I don't think today that I need to convince you that prayer matters and that it's how we communicate with the Lord. Um, I was talking to a friend this week, my friend Sarah, um, and I was telling her this ex exact thing. I said, I think this feels difficult to me because most people are aware of how important prayer is. It feels difficult to teach on a subject that people really already know the importance of. And she responded with something that got me thinking about my own prayer life. She said, well, yeah, people know that prayer matters just like I know that eating breakfast matters. But at some point in my life, I needed someone to tell me that eggs were a better breakfast choice than donuts. So today, I'm not going to try to convince you to pray. I'm going to tell you it matters. It draws you near to the heart of God. It's foundational for our faith. But, and I really do believe this is a church that believes in prayer. I believe that we pray here. But I'm wondering this morning if maybe there's more for us to understand when it comes to how we pray. That's as true for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for 30 days, and it's just as true for those of us who have been walking with the Lord for 30 years. I'm going to say this again, no matter where you find yourself in your journey with the Lord today, this message is for you. This message on prayer is for you. This series on the basics of our faith is for you. So, in Matthew, we see Jesus give what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up onto a mountain and he gives a really long sermon to anyone who would listen. 
um, about biblical truths, and one of those was prayer. He gives really specific instruction on how to pray in Matthew 6, and I want to spend some time unpacking it together. So you can go ahead and grab your copy of Scripture if you have it with you, or you can head to our event that's set up in the YouVersion app. But we're going to go to Matthew 6, and we're going to read some Scripture together, starting in verse 5. Here's what it says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Remember, this is Jesus talking. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And I want to pause here. Um, because in these verses, Jesus tells his followers some pretty specific things not to do. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus is telling me what to not do, I want to listen to that. I want to take note of that and be aware of that. And I think there's a lot that could be misunderstood about this passage. At face value, it seems like Jesus is telling us not to pray with others, that all prayer should happen in private. But I don't think that that's the heart of Jesus's words to his followers. You see, his initial instruction is do not be like the hypocrites who pray in the synagogues or on the street corners. But I don't think his critique is public prayer. I think it's public prayer that is prayed from the mouth of a hypocrite, someone who's praying to be heard by others, not someone who is pouring their heart out to their heavenly father. So for us today, we hear this and we understand that Jesus is interested in the prayers of those who are truly seeking the Lord, not the prayers of those who are praying to seek approval of others or to sound impressive or to check a box. What we can learn from what Jesus is telling us not to do is that our attitude about prayer matters as we pray. But before we keep going on into our passage, I want to draw your attention back to verse 8. It says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And let's not forget this truth, that the God we serve knows our needs. He knows our desires. He knows everything about us. We don't pray to inform God about what's going on in our lives or to let him know that we're in crisis or to catch him up on our most recent frustration. God already knows. We pray to be in the presence of a holy God who cares deeply about our needs. And we're going to keep moving through our passage, but this time Jesus is telling his followers what to do. He says this, this then is how you should pray. And this might sound familiar to you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here's what I want to propose to you this morning about this prayer that Jesus teaches his followers to pray. I'm proposing that Jesus isn't asking us to pray these words in this order, but I believe he's giving us tools to experience a more abundant prayer life. 
In a very concise prayer from Jesus, I believe that we learn everything that matters to Jesus about prayer. So if you're a note taker, this is your cue because I think there are seven things that matter to Jesus that are reflected in his prayer found in Matthew 6, and I want to tell you what they are. The first thing that I believe matters to Jesus is the fatherhood of God. Jesus acknowledges God as Father immediately in his prayer. We don't don't pray to God as our boss or as our friend, but we pray to a Father who deeply cares. He created us. He knows what we need. The second thing that I think matters to Jesus is the worship of God. Hallowed be your name is just another way of saying, God, even your name is holy, That acknowledgement of who God is to us is worship to him. That matters to Jesus. The third thing that I think matters to Jesus is the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling us to pray knowing that this is not our eternal home. There is more for us. So while our needs for today are important, they are, we should pray remembering that there will be a day when these needs are no longer our own because the kingdom of God is coming. The fourth thing that I think matters to Jesus is the will of God. And this is probably the most difficult for me because it's a lot easier to want what we want, to desire what we desire more than we desire what the Lord would have for us. But Jesus is telling us here that when we pray, our desire to see God's will come to fruition should be more important than our own desires or needs being met in the way that we see fit. The fifth thing that I think matters to Jesus is provision for his people. Jesus clearly tells us here to ask for what we need. He tells us to ask for our daily bread. He's telling us to daily bring our needs to the Lord. He cares that we have enough for today and that the children of God are provided for. The sixth thing that I think matters to Jesus is victory over sin and the evil one. Jesus cares that we confess our sin to the Lord. And notice that he advises us to confess to the Lord with an attitude of forgiveness towards those who have wronged us. Because his words are, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The words he used were past tense, meaning that when we bring our wrongs to the Lord, we do that already extending grace to those who have wronged us. Jesus knows when we extend this grace and receive God's grace, that we're given victory over the enemy. And the seventh thing that I think matters to Jesus is the hour. And I mean O-U-R, not H-O-U-R. Because when we reflect on this passage as a whole, there is one common theme. Jesus never prays for his individual need, but he prays for the needs of the whole. Every request is to our Father for our needs, for our forgiveness. Jesus is compelling us to pray for the good of the whole rather than for the good of just oneself. Again, I believe these are the things that matter to Jesus that are reflected in Matthew 6. 
And I, I believe that the prayer Jesus taught us was to teach us how to pray, not exactly what to pray. And the seven things that I shared with you, I believe those are the how. And there's a lot of really great things about Jesus. And one of them is that he's a man of his word. We clearly see him live out the words he taught us as he loved others with compassion, as he welcomed those who redeemed sinners, as he cared for the least of these. And prayer is truly no different. He teaches his followers to pray, and then later in his life, we get such a clear example of it lived out in the most trying time of his life on earth. In Mark 14, we read about Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was right before his arrest, which would ultimately lead to his death on the cross. So in the Garden story, we get a glimpse of a vulnerable Jesus who is in anguish over what is about to happen to him. And I do want to read the story together in Mark 14. Verse 32 says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with the sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And after this encounter between Jesus and his disciples, we watch them walk into the most, again, trying days of their lives on earth. Like we've said, Jesus knew that his life on earth was about to drastically change. He knew that he would soon be betrayed and that he would suffer for the sake of others. And yet, his regard for prayer was so high that it was what he chose to do before his life would unravel before him. And his prayer that we read in the garden is much like the prayer he teaches in Matthew 6. But you have to just dig a little bit into what he's saying. In this time of prayer, Jesus clearly desires a time that is focused on the hour, again, O-U-R. He gets frustrated time and time again when his disciples aren't joining him in prayer for the good of the whole. But we also see Jesus refer to God as Abba, Father. He acknowledges the fatherhood of God. He immediately follows that with worship, acknowledging that anything is possible for God. He then asks for his desire, for provision, for this cup to be taken from him. But then we see Jesus acknowledge that being in the will of God is far more important than his own desire, even though his desire was reasonable. 
We later see him encourage his disciples to pray for victory over sin and temptation. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in the same way that he taught his followers to pray. Immediately following the garden, Jesus is arrested. It's the beginning of his journey to the cross. And he fulfills the will of God by bearing it. But then we see his disciples totally unravel. As Jesus is somehow both humbly and heroically enduring the cross, Peter, his disciple, denies ever even knowing him, and the rest really aren't mentioned And so as we lay Jesus' prayer in Matthew over the interaction in the garden with his disciples, the frustration that we read in his words make more sense. We see Jesus going back to his disciples in the garden time after time, wondering why they had not been praying. Why weren't they making that foundation? And I have to wonder if the difference in how Jesus handled that journey to the cross and how the disciples handled Jesus' journey to the cross had something to do with what happened in the garden. Jesus spent those last few hours that he had laying that foundation, reinforcing the structure that he had. He spent the time that he had left in prayer, making sure that he was in the presence of a heavenly father in whom he'd find strength. And of course, Jesus was divine. He had everything of God in him, but we can't neglect that he was also fully human. And because he was human, I have to believe that everything that I would have felt in that moment, Jesus could have felt as well. He could have ran. He could have found a different way, but he valued the will of the Father and made sure that his foundation was set before his life would change. Do you see my point? Of course prayer matters. But maybe how we pray is the key to experiencing an abundant prayer life, to experiencing a foundation that is secure. So I'd ask you, is prayer your foundation today? Are you using your prayer time to build your foundation, or is your prayer time simply reactive to the things that are happening around you? Is it what's leading your journey or how you're coping with your journey? Jesus clearly shows us that prayer must be what leads us. It must be the foundation. So I would invite you to put Jesus' prayer that we find in Matthew 6 over the grid of your own life. And really, I want you to take a second and assess. Does your prayer life line up with the model of prayer that Jesus gives? Take a minute and think about it. I have three questions that I want to ask you today that might help you assess your own prayer life and could give you real tools for how to move forward. And the first question may be overly simplistic, but it's how are you praying today? When you thought about your own prayer life, what came to mind? Is it structured? Do you set time aside to be with the Lord? Do you set time aside to pray with intention? And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, 
Because the prayers that we pray in the car on the way to visit a sick relative in the hospital, or the prayers that we pray when we're feeling stressed or anxious, or those prayers that we pray when we need to confess something to the Lord, those prayers have value, they matter, but is that the only time that you're praying? I think that Jesus cares that we're praying intentionally and consistently. It's in the time of intentionality and consistency that our foundation is built and strengthened so that we're not shaken when things go sideways. He wants our foundation to be built proactively so that our faith doesn't fall apart reactively. The second question I have for you is this. Is your prayer life focused on you? And this is, this is tough because it's so normal to posture ourselves for prayer and to immediately tell the Lord everything we need, everything we want, everything that's happening in our lives, all of our feelings, maybe this is just me, but I do have that tendency to treat the Lord like someone to simply unload on and it's a balance because I believe with everything that our Father cares about those things. He knows what we need. But I also think that Jesus is clear that our times of prayer can't just be focused on ourselves. We must remember that we're praying to our Father who knows us, has a plan for us. When we approach God, we must acknowledge who he is to us, all-knowing, all-powerful, and the only one with the plan. And also, also, when we pray focused only on ourselves, we run the risk of isolating ourselves from the needs of the body of Christ and the needs that are represented here. An important part of our faith journey is community, and our prayer life should reflect it. I actually believe when the tone of our prayer reflects these truths that we begin to change, our circumstances begin to change, and our foundation is strengthened. And finally, I would ask you, have you done the work that prayer requires? And I don't mean that we have to work hard to be in communication with the Lord. We do have direct access to him, but I think the abundance comes when we've done some personal work. I keep talking about this word abundance, and I really just mean experiencing the most fruitful, rich prayer life possible. I don't think that's possible when we're neglecting the work that's found for us in Matthew 6. We already talked about how an abundant prayer life requires that we're extending grace to those in our own life. So I want to ask you this morning... Do you feel like God has been distant in your prayer life? Do you feel like there's something that is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God in your times of prayer? If that's you, I would point you back to Matthew 6 today. Are you approaching the Lord with an extension of grace to those around you? Or are you approaching the Lord with bitterness, with resentment, or with anger in your heart? There's work involved. And it's in experiencing this fullness that we're talking about. There's work in building the foundation. There's work in truly knowing who God is. And there's most certainly work in extending 
grace to those in your life as you come to the Lord. Prayer builds a strong foundation for walking with the Lord, so we must treat it with care. As the band leads us in a response of worship today, I would invite you to reconsider those questions. How are you praying? Is your prayer life only about you today? And have you done that work that an abundant life of prayer requires? And as the band plays, I would invite you to change your posture, whatever that looks like to you, if you need to sit or stand or kneel. And I would invite you to pray to our Father who cares deeply about your needs, acknowledging that he knows you and he is for you. See, that's the good news today. As we continue to invest in our foundation, as our prayer life becomes more and more like Jesus' prayer life, I believe we get to experience that abundance that we've been talking about. So let's pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Father in heaven, you are holy today. We worship you today. Holy is your name. You alone are worthy of our praise. God, your kingdom come. We are counting on it. But God, would your will be done in our lives today and in this church, God? Would you give us hearts to obey the will that you have for us? God, we do ask for what we need today. We bring our needs to you because you are trustworthy and faithful. But God, we also, we ask that you forgive us for the ways that we've wronged you. And we ask that you would give us a softened heart to extend grace to those in our lives who have wronged us. God, protect us from temptation. Protect us from the enemy. God, our lives are yours. And we love you. Would you speak to us now? Hear our prayers as we cry out to you. And God, we ask that you would just change our hearts in response. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.